Welcome to Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, a podcast dedicated to conversations with members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in North Texas. I'm your host, Eric Egan. We are all blessed with talents, and sometimes we discover talents we didn't know we had. This was the case for David B. Larson, who currently serves as president of the Dallas East Stake of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In this episode of Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, President Larson shares with us how he began writing lyrics for hymns, teaming up with a composer who is known across the church and the world for her touching music. President Larson, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us, where are you from? Well, I uh, was born in Salt Lake City, like with so many. Um, to be near my mother, as she would say, and uh, married a girl, uh, Judy Wetton, from the Mormon colonies in Mexico. And uh, we kind of set up shop here in Dallas in about 1982. So we came here a little bit on a lark to see how life would turn out. And we've kind of been here ever since. So we've really made Dallas our home. It's been a great place for us. 40 years almost. Yeah. And so you've raised your family here? Yeah, we have five children and uh, just uh, working on grandchild number 10. So our youngest just returned from a mission in Spokane. And so looking forward to getting him off to school here in a little bit again to get the last one finished from BYU. Well, what do you do professionally? You know, interesting. Uh, I'm still kind of waiting to figure out what I going to be when I grow up. But currently, for the last 40 years, I've only had one job. I I sell uh, commercial building products. I sell actually uh, fire doors and other types of building equipment. So it's a perfect lead into writing poetry. Right. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, given our topic, uh, that's an unlikely background to have. So tell us a little bit, uh, when did you start writing poetry or I guess lyrics for hymns? Uh it's one of those odd stories. Uh, I had uh, met an artist that I, Judy and I had commissioned uh, a number of uh, works of art with. He painted Book of Mormon paintings, and his name was Gary Cap. And uh, he told me that his sister would be coming to Dallas uh, to seek some kind of a performance and asked if uh, we would uh, give her shelter for the night. And so we said we would do that. And Little did I know at the time that her name was Janice Cap Perry. Hmm. Had no idea that they were brother and sister or even related. And so she came to our home. Uh, we got acquainted. And uh, for some reason, she asked if I had ever written anything lyrically, poetic or anything. And I told her I really hadn't. But during the course of our stay, we had a nice time together and enjoyed a performance uh, of her music. And uh, the evening before she left... Uh, I wrote a hymn text, basically a hymn text of appreciation uh, of her visit here, and uh, and I gave it to her, and she looked at me, she said, you wrote that last night? I said, yeah, and I think she said, you may have promise, and so uh, <laughs> I was, I thought that would be the end of it. About a week later, I received an engraved copy of the hymn that she had put to music, which she says, uh, she subtitled it, uh, it was called May God Smile Down Upon You. That's what I wrote. It was kind of a, a prayer to Sister Perry. And uh, she wrote that as a subtitle, A Prayer Between the Larsons and the Perrys. So just kind of a, a personal hymn between our two families. And thereafter, she kind of invited me to ask me if I would like to collaborate on a few other projects they're working on. So 
that was in 19, hmm, I can't remember, 19, I don't know, 88, 98, I can't remember the year. I guess probably 98. It's been 23, 24 years we've been working together. And she's a prolific hymn writer throughout the church. If you were to look at all the people who've had a musical influence in the church, and there have been many who are pretty prolific, but if you look at people who've particularly influenced children's hymns in the church, her name is one that will come up again and again as one who has had a tremendous influence of children's songs particularly, but also hymns for sisters and and otherwise that she's written throughout the year. So she is probably one of the most recognizable musical names in the church in terms of sacred music, I think. And you have this almost coincidental run-in with her, and then it sounds like you are off and running, participating in this process with her. Uh, That's really kind of how it turned out. At the time, she was writing an album about, um, I think the smaller temples had just been announced, and she was writing a number of hymns, uh, collaborating with a bunch of different people. And again, I just kind of inserted myself, and I wrote a little hymn text called This Temples Fill the Earth and sent it to her, not thinking anything would really come of it, but it ended up being the title of that album that was next released and really the first uh, recorded hymn that we had ever done together. So again, just to see uh, my name and her name on the same piece of paper and the same anything is just... uh, it's ethereal. It's just something you don't, you can't imagine is even happening. And it's happening a lot. Uh, with with greater frequency now. Yeah, we've uh, we have written uh, several hundred uh, hymns and other types of musical things. So yeah, she's been tutoring me along for these last twenty some odd years, and uh, it's been a it's, she's a marvelous friend and such a talented and gifted uh, and inspired, not only uh, musician but. She doesn't really need me to write lyrics. She's a very gifted, talented lyricist, but she's letting me play along, which I sure appreciate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, where do you find the inspiration for these lyrics? Oftentimes, it would just be from my own personal studies. I did a little traveling overseas, and so as I'm in these lonely hotel rooms or on these long flights, I would be thinking about uh, either my personal scripture study or some general conference talk, and those were the initial things that provided inspiration for us. But at a certain point, Janice and I just decided at the end of Edge General Conference, we would visit about what was your favorite talk? What was the message that inspired you or moved you? And let's do that one. Let's put that, uh, you write the hymn text and I'll write the music. And so we've been collaborating that way. And as we started that process, it became clear to us that one of the people that we admired most and whose messages we found most compelling on a consistent basis is Elder Jeffrey R. Holland. And at a certain point, we, Janice, I think, made an offhanded comment, wouldn't it be nice if we could do all of Elder Holland's talks since he was an apostle? Well, that at the time was about 50 talks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to uh, to try and uh, write 50 hymn texts or 50 accompaniments to hymn texts was a pretty daunting challenge, but just to start it to begin. And so over the course of several months, uh, really became kind of a, I don't know, an inspiring effort that uh, was so wonderful to hear each one of his messages, uh, starting from the first time he was called to the apostle, watching him through the course of his ministry and the powerful messages he delivered and then trying to write a message in hymn text form that would be kind of a second witness to to his talk and uh, 
then Janice would set him magnificently to music there. And so we completed that and published a little volume of hymns uh, based on his talks, which, as she gave him a copy, he was he was thrilled to receive it. He thought that was a real nice memento of his ministry, and uh, he was very appreciative. Well, that's a wonderful background there. And, and as you've done that, I mean, that was a lot of talks to go through uh, and turn into hymn form. What does that process look like? You, you mentioned earlier, you know, pondering and being on a plane or wherever and thinking through that. Is there a certain pattern that develops to him writing or what, what does that look like to you? I, you know, I think I'm still trying to figure that out. But for me, I guess the process has been, uh, first I'll either watch and or read the talk a number of times. I'll, I'll underline and pick out key passages, key words, key phrases that seem to have some meaning there and trying to find the real message, the heart of the hymn, if there is such a thing, the heart of the, the heart of the, of his instruction or her instruction as the case may be. And try and craft a message that will somehow convey, at least partially, you certainly can't capture it all, but partially some of the message that will come. So it comes in different ways, to be quite honest. Oftentimes, the key challenge for me is finding the first line or finding the most important. What is the, you know, the core message of the hymn and how do you begin to convey that? And so as that first line comes... Um, and sometimes it comes very quickly as you're just reading through the talk. You can immediately identify it. This is obviously <laughs> what this should be titled. Oftentimes it's more of a struggle. But typically after that first line comes, um, that message will begin to formulate uh, in your mind. And it, for me, it just comes one line at a time. So I know it's probably different for everybody who uh, who tries to do this, but for me, if I try and write the third line before the second line, it's never going to work. And if I try and write a chorus before I write anything else, seldom does it work. So it seems almost like, I don't want to give the wrong idea that, you know, heaven is dictating anything to me, but it just comes kind of that way in a sequential pattern. Uh, and once it's kind of written down, then you realize how bad it is. <laughs> and then you, then you begin editing. You begin saying, well... Uh, because the hymn texts are, are not forgiving. There is a specific pattern that you have to do. The accents have to be right. The meter has to be right. And so the revisions often take four or five times as long as getting the initial hymn text kind of blocked out. And in, uh, in the forum where you think this is, this is getting closer, when I get it to a certain point, about what I call about 80%, I always let my wife read through it, and she is uh, she's a great observer of, first of all, she's very encouraging, uh, which I appreciate because I need that. I need less critics, more encouragement. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Don't we all? Uh, but uh, then she'll just say, you know, have you thought about this, or this, this, this word is maybe a problem? or this idea is unclear, or this doesn't flow as well as it should. And so oftentimes I'll rework that. And so the reworking progress, I usually, once I feel like I've got it finished, I usually let it sit for a week and then I'll go back and uh, see if I still like it. And uh, sometimes there's small changes that are made, sometimes big revisions. And then the real test of faith comes uh, when I think I'm finished, I 
send it to Sister Perry. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes that's where the real fun begins is because either she really will like it or she will say, are you kidding? (laughs) Usually she likes it. Uh, But uh, there are times when she says, you know, I don't understand this or this doesn't make sense. And so that's helpful too, because she's, uh, has a very good eye for things like that. And once, uh, once she likes it, we go back and forth with those revisions, then she will do her thing of putting it to music. And, uh, we start negotiating about the music too. I'm sure. What a process. Now you'd mentioned all the talks of Elder Holland, but I understand that you've taken on actually writing hymns from a number of general conference talks each time. Is that right? Yeah, as we concluded uh, Elder Holland's um, project, because the message were, were so powerful, we decided at a certain point that we would try our best to write a hymn for each apostle who spoke, including the First Presidency, obviously, as well as any sister leader in the church who spoke during the, I think it's been the last six or seven general conferences now. So it ends up being about 25 hymns per conference is what we've been averaging. So that's, you know, we're doing about 50 to 60 hymns a year. So it's a pretty ambitious project. And at a certain point, Sister Perry, and many people may not be aware, had a stroke. And I was not sure she was just unable to move for a long time. And unable to speak for a while and was really unknown if she would ever be able to write again. Um, because I don't think she knew, nor did I know or her family know if, if that part of her, uh, would be restored or if it'd be taken. But after she recovered, she has written, I think some of the most beautiful music to these hymn texts that, uh, that I've heard. And so I'm, I'm grateful for her her life being preserved and extended and also for the great music that she's been inspired to continue to write. So I think basically she writes hymns now more for a legacy than anything. I'm not sure many of these hymns will ever be sung, but they have been written and hopefully they'll be enjoyed at some point in the future by more people. Have they been published? Many of them been published. Uh, the last three conferences are completed starting with last uh, April uh, so there's been um, a total of eight volumes that have been published uh, called Hymns for Home and Family. I believe the last three or four volumes have just contained our hymns. She collaborated with a number of other people on the first four volumes for five volumes, but the last several volumes have just been she and I collaborating on these uh, general conference addresses. We'd like to listen to two of the hymns on this podcast. The first one is a hymn that you wrote called Should the Savior Ask? What's the story behind that one? This is a really uh, a beautiful hymn with really stirring music. Uh, the hymn was inspired by Elder Holland's uh, general conference address where he is bearing his witness of the Savior's ministry, and he recounts the experience of the apostles and their dealings with the Savior, how he initially called them on the shores of Galilee and asked them to leave their nets and to follow him. and culminates uh, with his reappearing to them as they are fishing after his resurrection on the shores of Galilee again. And they are wondering, I think, what what will become of them and what will become of this church that they have uh, given their lives to. And so as he uh, invites them to come ashore uh, and uh, he's prepared fishes for them to eat and really a meal for them to eat, this is the moment in time where the Savior asked Peter, Peter, 
lovest thou me? And uh, Elder Holland, in great detail and with great emotion, tells his rendition of what this may have looked like from Peter's vantage point and what the Savior may be trying to convey to him about what the future of the church looked like and what his responsibilities and opportunities may be in this infant church. And so the title of him is, Should the Savior Ask, Do You Love Me? And so it's talking about feed my sheep, feed my lamb. So that's the essence of the story. This is a really, I think, a moving and compelling hymn. Well, let's listen to it.
Well, that was a beautiful hymn. And we talked earlier, I asked you the question if some of this work has been published. I know that your work is featured in a coffee table book that's been published recently. Tell us about that. After President Nelson's uh, really landmark address uh, during the the 200th anniversary of the first vision, he invited the entire church to receive revelation and to basically to hear him as the instruction that uh, the father gave to uh, Joseph Smith during the first vision to hear him speaking of uh, listening to the voice of the Savior. And so like many others, uh, Janice and I, during our time, decided to try our hand at writing a hymn for that. And maybe I can just share her uh, account of of her writing of the music, because I think it's a compelling uh, tale about how this process works for her musically, and I think it's uh, I think it's quite interesting. She says, "I've been writing gospel hymns for the past couple of decades with President David B. Larson of Dallas East Stake, who is a skilled lyricist and lover of art and musical-related gospel things. Many times we have written hymns for occasions in his stake or mine, but for the last decade we have felt a strong urge to write new hymns based solely on the sermons of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles." as well as from the sister leaders in the church. We hoped our hymns would be a second witness to their messages. With our prophets eloquent and timely counsel the saints of our day to strive with all their hearts to hear him, we are all tuning our spirits to hear and obey his counsel. Many have been writing prose, poetry, and music that will aid us in our quest to hear him, and President Lars and I have been no different. We have felt a strong prompting while writing hymns inspired by April 2020 conference to put our hearts and souls into a hymn based on President Nelson's counsel to hear him. For this particular song, my collaborator wrote a beautiful hymn text and sent it to me to add the music. She continues, I always pray for the Spirit's influence when I begin to write a hymn, but when I looked at my first draft, I felt that I had failed to capture the power of President Nelson's message. Disappointed, I tore up the music and waited till the next morning to try again. This time, instead of bowing my head at my piano bench to ask for the Spirit's influence in my writing, I found time to be alone in my bedroom, then knelt by my bedside and poured out my heart to the Lord, asking him to help please make me equal to the task of writing this important hymn. I remember the Lord's chastisement of Oliver Cowdery for, quote, taking no thought but to ask, end quote, and realizing that this is what I had done initially. I pled to the depths of my soul for the Lord to help me write this hymn because on my own I had not created a hymn worthy of the prophet's message. While I was still kneeling, the thought came to me to reread President Larson's text, and I would know what to do. I went to my studio and studied the text with new interest. I could feel the warm guidance of the Spirit begin to flow as I saw a very interesting pattern in the four verses. The first two lines of each verse were a plea from the prophet, even an admonition to hear him, and I knew I should write it in a minor key to give strength to the words. Then I noticed that last two lines of each verse changed in tone completely and told of all the beautiful things that would happen in our lives if we would hear him. I knew that was going to be a major key, and this would convey the new feeling beautifully. I could not wait to sit at the piano and write this time with excitement and tears on my cheeks, having received instruction from the Spirit to guide me. When I was done and played it through, I knew it was right and sent to President Larson. His response confirmed that I had indeed heard the Spirit's prompting, as I'm sure he had when he'd written the text. My thank you prayer was heartfelt. So just an interesting, again, evolution of, of trying to write under the direction of the Spirit, both the music and the text, so that the words and the message conveyed is appropriate and uh, heaven-sent rather than just kind of manufactured. Boy, what a great account from her. Neat to hear the background on that story. Yeah, she's a special lady, and uh, that's uh, her hymn text writing is that way. She 
She has a special chair she sits in when she writes these hymns. So she just leans back in her chair, closes her eyes, and reads these texts and waits for the inspiration to come. It's a pretty amazing process for her as well. Now, with all of this experience that you've gained in hymn writing, I understand that during the COVID pandemic, you've sought to really help members of your stake draw closer to the Lord through hymns. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think COVID has taken its uh, toll on so many of us and a lot of ways we've felt socially isolated and I know it's had its impact on me. So each uh, week we've attempted the stake presidency to send out a message to members of the stake uh, that had a little come follow me message with it that was accompanied by an appropriate hymn that would fortify and undergird the message of the come follow me lessons for that particular week. So since... uh, I think probably March of last year, each week we have sent out this message and uh, a hymn that to support the Come Follow Me lesson. So that's probably approaching, I don't know, that's a bunch of weeks, but it it's a lot of hymns. So, <laughs> and, and are these hymns that you've written previously with Sister Perry, or are they something else? These are the hymns that we've, Sister Perry and I have written uh, based on generally these uh, general conference addresses uh, that uh, we've been talking about. So there's usually a message that's been given in general conference that's current, that will support uh, the message that uh, we're studying this week in Come Follow Me. That's wonderful. What a blessing to members of your stake to get truly unique work from you and, uh, and your presidency. That's wonderful. We've also had, I have a, just a, a wonderful translator too, I want to just mention, because these hymns are not only done in English, but we have a lot of Spanish-speaking members here. So just a wonderful translator, Mary Alice Taylor, who lives in Arizona, has translated all these messages we've sent out, the hymn text, <laughs> mm-hmm. into Spanish. And so the hymns are not only available in English, but she's translated the hymn text into Spanish. And so we sent out also an MP3 file that has the music, and so you can play it and sing along if you want to. That's great. Well, as we get towards the end of this episode, let's listen to another hymn that you've written. This one is called Christ Can Heal the Brokenhearted. And this particular performance is from the 2019 Spring Church Music Festival. Tell us a little bit about how this one came about. This uh, was again inspired uh, by one of Elder Holland's talks. This was really the, the landmark address that he gave, I think, in 2012 spoke probably for the first time in such a direct way to the church about mental health and about the challenge that people and families with mental health faced just in living a Christ-centered life and and living basically at all and and the challenge that they faced and how much the Lord loved them and how much his desire was to to heal them, some now and as he said, some later. And so this really is a moving message about his desire, his willingness, his ability to not only heal our infirmities of every kind, and it's really reminiscent of the Savior's visit to the in Third Nephi to the people on this continent, where he approached them, and as he appeared to them, he he invited them all to come, and uh, they're lame, they're halt, they're sick, they're blind, and he healed every one of them, and he healed not only those people with physical infirmities that you could see, but he said he healed them every one. And so I have to believe that also includes people with these emotional and psychological and mental challenges that that we face in mortality. 
and that the purpose of the atonement really is to heal us everyone and uh, whether that's now or whether it's later but eventually his healing uh, will come to all those who accept him and uh, draw on the power of the atonement so let's listen to this one it's christ can heal the brokenhearted
Well, that's another beautiful hymn. What's it like for you to hear your work perform so beautifully? Quite honestly, uh, it's almost an out-of-body experience. Uh, the first time I, I had a chance to uh, hear uh, a work performed in the Assembly Hall as part of the Church Music Festival, and I, I just honestly, I just wept. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe it was happening, and uh, they did such a beautiful job. I just was like, you know, walking on holy ground. Honestly, it was, uh, mm. I it was, uh, it was an incredible experience. It's really difficult to describe. Very emotional for me. We know that the church has been in the process recently of collecting hymns, new hymns, for a hymn book to be published in the future. Do you anticipate any of your work being published in that new hymn book? Probably not, <laughs> but, it, but it would be it would be a thrill. Um, I think they had seventeen thousand submissions, and I, like so many others, submitted a hymn. So they'll come away with a few, and I'm sure they'll be wonderful. If any uh, that we submitted uh, are included, uh, it would be again something that would be completely unexpected and uh, really an honor. So, no, I don't have any expectations that that will ever happen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but you've got a a wonderful collection uh, over these many years that, if nothing else, would be a wonderful legacy for your posterity, I'm sure. And those that uh, you've been their state president and priesthood leader and other capacities that uh, I'm sure will always appreciate your talents for writing these hymns. Well, that's the intent is... uh... You don't do this for fame or for fortune. You hope it will build faith in the Savior and uh, turn people to Him and give them hope and encouragement to uh, go to the real source of power for all these. And if it brings anybody any comfort or any incentive to do that, then it'll be well worth it. Well, as you think about this journey that you've been on and the opportunity to write these lyrics and to work with Sister Perry, any final thoughts as you uh, just kind of ponder what this has meant to you in your life? Well, it, it's just been an honor to, uh, and really an unexpected honor, to be able to collaborate uh, with her, to uh, make an attempt to pen these uh, messages, uh, these beautiful conference talks, and to try and make something of them that uh, will, uh, again, be a second witness, if possible, to the beautiful messages that have been delivered by by the leaders of the church, especially during a time of so much change. You know, in these last uh, several conferences, we have have two our church, we have ministering, we have, you know, we have just a number of changes that have, that have happened in the church. And all these are just, uh, I think, key moments in, uh, in the culminating time in the church where Israel's being gathered and, and uh, the church is being prepared, I think, hopefully to, for the second coming of the Savior. So, any small role that these play, and it would be a very small role. It just is a, even just marking the way with some of these hymns has has been has been so beneficial to me. When you when you try and internalize a conference talk by one of these church leaders and to put it into hymn text form, that has a kind of an effect on your soul. And so, the greatest beneficiary of all this will obviously be me, because these hymn texts, uh, these beautiful messages, they imprint you and hopefully they have an impact about who you're becoming and 
how you deal with others and the important things in life that really mean the most. I'm sure that is a blessing. And it's been a blessing to have you with us in this episode of our podcast. And thank you for your insights. Thank you for sharing our music, your music with us. And uh, we look forward to hearing more. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Our guest on this episode of Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices has been David B. Larson, president of the Dallas East Stake. I appreciate President Larson sharing his talent for writing hymn lyrics, and I look forward to hearing more of his hymns performed in the future. For Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, I'm Eric Egan. <laughs>